Well, we have three very excellent readings for us today. And by the way, did you know the practice of or tradition of appointed readings from the Bible for a particular day of the year goes back to the time of Moses? Did you know that? It goes back to the time of Moses and the tabernacle, also known as the uh, mobile temple. But the early Christian church had a, a one-year cycle where the Bible was read to them in, a, in an entire year. And then it was repeated the same, you know, year after year after year. And now today, Lutherans, Catholics, and Anglicans are on a three-year cycle where most of the Bible gets read to you in church on Sunday in three years. If you're in church every Sunday, that is. And the reason for this is to expand and reinforce your knowledge of God and what He's done for you. Because for many a Christian, the readings during church on Sunday are all he or she gets. So this reading from Isaiah is God speaking through the prophet to the people of Jerusalem. It's a little poem or hymn set within a greater or a larger prophecy that a remnant of those who were conquered by neighboring Assyria and fled the city will return to love, worship, and serve God in safety in Jerusalem. It's a message of salvation meant to bring peace to the Israelite hearer. And it teaches us today the kind of God that's called us to be His own and what His attitude is towards His people. Now in the Gospel lesson, we have Jesus Himself telling His disciple that He brings Him, or He brings them, peace. He brings it to them. And not the kind the government or the military can bring, but peace with God the Father, His Father, our Father. Making things right again between humanity and the Creator, secured through His own death and resurrection. To us today, this is pure doctrine of the church. Jesus is about peace. That's what He is about. That's who He is. He makes it, He brings it, and He gives it to His people. So don't let yourself be troubled or afraid. Now the epistle reading is a little bit of a letter written by Paul to the church in Colossae. And it, it's, it too is a poem or a hymn set within a larger message. I don't know if he if people sang it when they read it, but it, it's, a, it's a little block of its own prose. And its purpose was at the time to remind those first Christians there the truth they had been told about Jesus. It was to bring peace to anxious hearts concerning who Jesus was and what He was and what their future was in Him. Now Martin Luther in his day had something to say about verse 18. And He is the head of of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Luther said the Pope is not, according to divine law or God's word, the head of all Christendom. The name belongs to one only, whose name is Jesus Christ. Today, that's not our issue. But it does teach us that we we are not the head of the church, The clergy are not the head of the church, nor the government, or anyone else but Jesus. And that brings peace, knowing that we are not a church that exists simply to operate and save itself. 
There is one church, though, that does that and has been a big distraction for me this week, and I'm not pleased about it because my focus needs to be on Bethlehem and the angels foretelling of Jesus and all that. But A&E has got this show on right now about the Church of Scientology that's really fascinating. As part of my confirmation programs for several years now, I've taught the, I've taught the kids a little bit about Scientology, but as it's grouped together with other cults and non-Christian churches, so I don't go into a lot of detail with them, but I thought I knew a little bit about it, but after watching Scientology and the aftermath, I realized I don't know a whole lot about it. <laughs> For example, I don't know if you knew, knew that the top-level le- uh, top leaders of Scientology are an elite group known as the Sea Org. And they have their own headquarters separate from the rest of the church and they wear naval officer uniforms with rank and they have pay grades and they carry out special duties and assignments. I don't know if you knew, but Scientology operates on the fringes of legality. They've been banned in other parts of the world like Australia, but in this country, Much of the things that they do stop short within inches of being unlawful. Scientology's inventor, L. Ron Hubbard, died back in the 80s, but the church has mythologized mythologized his life and achievements, most of which have been proven false, according to public record, and even by some of the people who knew him. I didn't know that anyone inside or outside the Church of Scientology, who criticizes either L. Ron Hubbard or the current leader, David Miscavige, or any of the writings or teachings of the church to include the best-selling book, Dianetics, is considered an enemy of the church and is fair game to harassment with the intent the person is discredited and his life is ultimately destroyed. Can you imagine if the Christian church was that way? Can you imagine how many of you would stay in it? I mean, people leave the Christian church for being looked at wrong, right? Now take the virgin birth for that, for for example. There are plenty of naysayers about Jesus being born of the Virgin Mary. After all, it's a miracle, right? It's a miraculous event. It's hard to believe on a strictly human level that that could have happened that way because that's not the way people are normally conceived. But the Christian church doesn't declare people who don't believe it as enemies. We would say that person is a heretic and the hope is that one day they would come to believe in the truth and even when the heretic goes so far as to inflict damage to the church and in effect does, does become an enemy, what's our calling? To discredit him and destroy him? No, it's to love him, right? Pray for him with love and gentleness to try and get him back. I believe it goes to show that when a man-made organization like the Church of Scientology exists for its own purpose of just surviving, you know, when livelihoods and positions and positions of power and salaries and benefits are on the line, it's going to be an anxious even angry group of people. They're going to deal heavily, heavy-handedly with their own and play the perse- persecution card not only to uh, convince those inside to stay, 
but also to gain sympathy and support from the outside. From what you can read and watch about Scientology apart from their website or PR media, it would appear there's not much peace within their church. But then again, they don't know Jesus, do they? Some will say the Christian church doesn't have much peace either. Well, we know our church has its problems, right? And some of the reasons for that might be similar to Scientology's. We often wring our hands in frustration, wondering why the church is in decline, why our young people leave the church in droves right after high school, why we Christians don't seem to have the respect and influence in society and government anymore. But the difference is the kind of peace. In our church, we're not going to bring peace amongst ourselves with thought reform programs, cruel and unusual punishment, and solitary confinement. We're not out to humiliate and destroy our critics because we have a captain, a pilot, a leader whose very essence is peace and love and mercy and compassion. In Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Now think about that for a few seconds. When you ask a child how big God is, how do you think they respond? Have you ever asked a child how big God is? What do you think they, they do? What do you, how have you seen them respond? Yeah, our eyes are Oh, he's this big. Something like that. That's a good nonverbal illustration of how any one of us might answer the question. How does one even measure or comprehend the fullness of God? Especially when you have to acknowledge that He created the universe and everything in it. Yet the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in human form. The tiny embryo to newborn infant to toddler to teenager to man. Putting right all things between man and God. Making peace by the blood of His cross And his peace is like no other. I know and you know Christmas is laden with sentiments of focusing on world peace, peace between nations, and in our country, peace between people, people of different races and social settings, people of different religions and lifestyles. Those are good sentiments, and even the Church of Scientology seeks to achieve those things according to their official website, but this is not specifically the peace that Jesus is talking about. Then it begs the question, if reconciliation with God is the peace that Jesus is talking about and that this is the peace that he brings, who then is concerned with their peace with God the Father? I don't know. I know that wasn't on my radar when I became a Christian. It didn't occur to me that my sin was a barrier to God's acceptance of me into heaven and that I needed someone to step in, in my place and intercede for me. I was just wanting to be a good person and and I wanted the eternal life part. I thought Jesus was cool and all that, but reconciliation with the Father? Hmm. That took a long time for me to get. And maybe you can relate. 
Maybe Christmas and Jesus and peace all go together for you as good things to celebrate and remember and, and do your part as a good citizen of the community to love and help others, but maybe that's as far as it goes for you. I don't know. I do know and I want you to know, however, that there is a peace that goes beyond feeling, that goes beyond doing, and goes beyond understanding that is a gift from God. Jesus says He gives it to you. But He is also the child of it. Prince of it. The King of it. And the peace Jesus gives is a matter of relationship between Him and you. Him and us. The peace He brings come to us, comes to us as a person foretold by the prophets, announced by the angels and a star. He is our peace with our Creator. The same is true with our relationship with each other as a result. Just as Jesus makes us right with the Father, reconciling us to Him, He gives us the ability and power to reconcile with each other. This is God's will and wish for you that you would receive peace in your heart and mind, believe that you are right with God the Father on account of the Son's sacrifice, and to share that peace with your fellow human beings. From heaven above to earth, He came for you for this very purpose. Amen. And may that peace which surpasses all human understanding keep your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ. Amen.